You're about to listen to the IC News podcast. We release new episodes each and every Saturday. If you're enjoying the show, please take a second to leave us a rating and a review on whichever platform you're listening on. It really helps us out, and your support means the podcast can reach a wider audience. Stay safe. Stay home. Wash your hands, and enjoy the show. You're listening to the IC News Emergency Broadcast System. Stay safe, and stay at home. Dominic Raab formally announces three more weeks of lockdown as a means of giving himself more time to track down and terminate John Connor. President Trump names the owner of the WWE, Vince McMahon, as an advisor on how to reopen America's economy. As a result, each state will now enter the ring at 90-second intervals, and can only be eliminated when their last COVID patient is thrown over the top rope with both feet touching the floor. Jeff Bezos adds $24 billion to his net worth as a result of lockdown boosting online sales. His profits are reportedly going to be reinvested into robots that will cut out the middleman in Amazon warehouses by actively crushing the human workforce under their titanium heels. And finally, Britain has been humbled and inspired this week by the fundraising efforts of 99-year-old veteran Tom Moore, who has single-handedly raised £18 million for the NHS by doing laps in his garden. Rising to the challenge, another plucky nonagenarian is set to climb an absolute mountain by setting out to single-handedly remind the country that it should have been funded with our taxes in the first fucking place. Hello and welcome. You are once again listening to the IC News Emergency Broadcast System, here to entertain and inform you as you prepare for another three weeks of pretending you still give a shit about homeschooling your children. It's okay. We don't judge you. They won't learn anything from a textbook that they wouldn't have got from a Nintendo Switch. Just leave them in front of Animal Crossing and sneak away upstairs to drink gin in the toilet. Although the actual world has come to a depressing standstill, we're still cracking open the globe-shaped drinks cabinet of news in order to mix you up a bittersweet cocktail of information and opinion. This week we learned Britain here on Earth Prime would be enduring at least another three weeks of full lockdown, with the new leader of the opposition calling on the government to outline its exit strategy as soon as possible. He was then roundly savaged by a nation of supine bootlickers eager to grant carte blanche to a government of liars who have set the country on a path to the highest death rate in Europe with their sheer incompetence. It's been a difficult week all round for Labour, with factionalism among its ranks once again raising its ugly head to steal the few crackles of thunder Starmer's appointment managed to raise. Here's Red Redmond with the latest. The people's flag is deepest red, it's shrouded off Thanks, Sam. It's only been a week or so since Keir Starmer became the new leader of the Labour Party, and things are already getting interesting. After announcing his shadow cabinet, it wasn't long before an anonymous source leaked a report commissioned under Corbyn that revealed an underlying hostility to his leadership among former senior officials within the party. The allegations are as juicy as they are hilarious. In emails and WhatsApp messages, senior officials reportedly described Diane Abbott as repulsive, Seamus Milne is called a mentalist, Corbyn's chief of staff a bitch-faced cow, and former leadership hopeful Clive Lewis is labelled as the biggest cunt of the lot. 
Starmer has made it his mission to stamp out factionalism within Labour, and presumably his first step is now going to be to confiscate everyone's means of production until they learn how to share them on the playground. Starmer has moved quickly and announced an independent investigation into the circumstances of why the report was commissioned and how it came to be leaked. So Labour are now investigating a report that in itself was investigating the party's handling of anti-Semitism. Intended initially to feed back to the investigation by the Equality and Human Rights Commission into how the party was investigating reports of it. It's been a good few years, lads, but we've finally done it. We've hit inception and peak Labour. And it's an embarrassing fucking mess. Keir Starmer has long tried to walk the tightrope between Labour's opposing camps, positioning himself as the unity candidate that can bring together the hard and soft left. The problem is that when you bring together hard and soft, you end up with a semi, and that's just not enough to beat off a Tory. How he handles his new scandal is going to have drastic repercussions for how he's viewed by party members. Corbyn loyalists will be rightly appalled that he was clearly sabotaged from within, whereas critics of the report say this is yet another attempt to discredit and distract from the systemic anti-Semitism on his watch. The timing of this leak is clear and deliberate and intended to prove that Corbyn was effectively undermined by his own party. As the soft left start to reassert their grip on the future direction of Labour, it's a clear message that factionalism is going nowhere fast. And there are plenty of dissenters unhappy with the direction Starmer is trying to drag them. The report is another loop in the exciting roller coaster leading to the end of the EHRC's independent investigation. If they reach the same conclusions, that investigating anti-Semitism effectively was hampered not by the party leadership, but by factions actively working against Corbyn's attempts to get a handle on the situation, it will be truly explosive. If the EHRC concludes the opposite, this report will become proof that Labour under Corbyn was more concerned about undermining the credibility of his ideological opponents than actively rooting out anti-Semites within the movement. In short, there's not really any feasible way in which anyone comes out of this looking good. Starmer might be doing all he can to carefully carry a glass vase across the room, but what value is that to the general decor of the place if everyone around him is still shitting on the floor? And how can you stamp out that kind of factionalism without ruining your own shoes? I'm Red Redmond, called all sorts of names in their colleagues' WhatsApp group, reporting for icy news. Now, if you've had enough of pettiness, vitriol, partisan politics and enormous egos, tough shit. We haven't looked at what's been going on in America for a little while now, but that's a bit like ignoring an enormous crack in the front of your house. Best to keep an eye on it before everything we hold dear collapses around us and kills everyone we love. This week, President Trump has seemed determined to shove his tiny hands into that crack and pry it open even further. With the latest on the introductory chapters to a global dystopia novel panned by critics as lacking credible antagonists, here's Tom King. She wanted to get some furniture. I said, I'll show you where they have some nice furniture. <laughs> I took her furniture. I moved on her like a bitch. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab by the pussy. Thanks, Sam. In the United States, coronavirus cases continue to surge, and the country has now been the global epicentre of the pandemic by a significant margin for some time. 
With criticism of his initial response to the crisis building, it's been a week of increasingly unhinged press conferences from the American president. Taking into account the fact that Trump's batshitometer generally starts the day wobbling around a six or seven, it's genuinely impressive that he still manages to cap himself. Those halcyon days when he was just trying to buy Greenland now feel like a long-forgotten oasis of calm in a desert of howling insanity. Trump is a master of deflection and distraction, capable of shifting the political focus onto boogeymen of his own creation with frightening efficiency. The problem he's facing is that slapping a catchy nickname on a virus doesn't really bother it that much, and blaming the media doesn't stop Americans from watching their loved ones die in their thousands. This crisis has the president on the back foot, with the media suffering the exact same outcome you'd expect when cornering a frightened chimpanzee. Shit is getting flung, and the volume is unbelievable. Having downplayed the risk of the pandemic and ignored expert warnings at every turn until reality was inescapable, Trump's plague-riddled chickens are now coughing home to roost. While his base continues to gorge themselves on the peanuts offered by his media-bashing circus, his polling figures are steadily declining. Having enjoyed an initial bump of good old-fashioned conflict patriotism at the start of the crisis, approval of his administration's management of the pandemic is now net negative. The scrutiny is inescapable, and far trickier to wave away with a flashy campaign ad than a partisan political opponent. This pandemic is an occasion, and there's not a porn star on a golf course anywhere in the world capable of making Trump rise to it. Instead, he's stuck true to his form, lashing out wildly at any scapegoat he can find, refusing all accountability and trumpeting his own decision-making skills, despite how demonstrably ineffective they've been. Whether it's been China, his own state governors and expert advisers, the media or the World Health Organization, the president has proven outright that the finger of blame for the worst coronavirus statistics in the world points anywhere but at him. This week he took the extraordinary steps of announcing that the US would be withholding its funding of the WHO in response to its handling of the pandemic, citing its failure to recommend travel bans from China and accusing it of complicity in the cover-up. It's a hot mess, and in Trump's defence, for once, without relying on a Senate full of frightened cooks, there is some credibility to the argument that the organisation took too much of China's word at face value in the early days of the crisis. The WHO haven't faced this much pressure to explain themselves since Pete Townsend forgot to use a VPN when he cracked his credit card out. However, Trump's own travel ban was in reality nowhere near as comprehensive or effective as he's claimed it was. Americans were still pouring in from other affected areas without facing isolation or quarantine measures. Trump is desperate to gain himself the voting bump in swing states the polls suggest he'll need in the coming election. Coronavirus is now undoubtedly going to be the single biggest issue on the ballot and the White House press conferences are a worrying indication of the direction the fight is heading. Terrified of the prospect of mail-in ballots creating an easier environment for the Democrats to mobilise votes, he's now turned his crosshairs on the US Postal Service, with Republicans and Trump loyalists once again screaming to the heavens about non-existent voter fraud. In Wisconsin's recent state elections, they even went so far as to force people to the polls in person, with a conservative majority on the Supreme Court ruling against a proposition to extend the mail-in deadline to enable voters to participate in democracy safely. It was a blatant and deliberate attempt to suppress the vote and hand Trump an advantage. 
If it's an indication of things to come, America might be facing its greatest crisis yet. The proposition of coronavirus acting as a midwife to the birth of Donald Trump's de facto monarchy. I'm Tom King, probably unable to use research as an excuse for his own search history. Reporting for IC News. That's really bad reporting. And you ought to get back to reporting instead of sensationalism. Let's see if it works. This week, the president has also announced plans to reopen America's economy state by state, with protesters in Michigan taking to the streets to block highways and access to hospitals in an attempt to demonstrate just how unhappy they are with being banned from sacrificing their bodies to the bloodthirsty engine of late-stage capitalism. It's not just Americans who are itching to get back to work, of course. As unemployment rises and businesses struggle to access the financial support they desperately need to weather the storm of this pandemic, people everywhere in the UK are beginning to wonder just what the future holds for the livelihoods they've built for themselves. We now go live to Danny Sutcliffe, who's been looking at how businesses are coping under such difficult circumstances. Hi, Sam. Bear with me one second. (laughs) There we go. Sorry about that, pal. I was just finishing off a project, by which I mean jet-washing the... exercise bike of a friend of mine, all for the competitive price of just 20 English pounds. Why would an exercise bike need... You know what? Never mind. We're not getting into this again. You can't keep using... (laughs) Mr. Bit... Airtime on the network to covertly advertise your jet-washing business. It isn't ethical. Unless you pay for the advertising space, that is. Which you're still welcome to do, by the way, if you want. Because we, uh, we need it. Ah. Struggling to access the financial support needed to stay afloat under lockdown, are we? Believe me, pal, I sympathise. Danny's jet wash service... Undoubtedly the most competitively priced jet wash call-out service in the Greater Manchester area have found themselves under the same fiscal pressure, if you'll pardon the pun. I won't. Well, I said it anyway, so fuck you. Look, I'm not getting into another jet washing debate with you. I'm telling you, you'll feel like a new man. It's not happening. Twelve quid and I'll throw in an air freshener you can hang off the end of it. Danny, you're not jet washing me, and if you did, I certainly wouldn't be paying you for the privilege. Your loss, mate. You'll never know the feeling of the crisp air on your exposed nerves. It's spectacular. (laughs) Shut up, you! Look, you're supposed to be doing the business news. There's a lot of anxiety out there at the moment about how people are going to survive this crisis. You don't have to tell me that, mate. I, for one, was shocked. Shocked, I tell you, to find out that banks have been slow to respond to the government's instructions to fast-track business loans and approve effective business bailouts, despite being the first sector to hoover one up when it's offered. Danny's jet wash service was offered an appalling APR rate when it approached the bank, despite a series of glowing one-star reviews on RateMyJetWash.com You're doing it again. But take heart fellow consumer, help is at hand. And if it's not from the government's furlough programme or your own reluctant shit out of a high street bank, it has to be from someone you trust. Someone with a proven track record of entrepreneurial spirit who can get you the investment your business so desperately needs. Someone with a series of glowing one star reviews on Yowl.com Don't you mean Yelp? Entrepreneurial. What the fuck's Yelp? Stop interrupting. I'm reporting here. 
If you're looking down the barrel of a shotgun full of debt, unable to get a loan, worried about surviving the wait until that furlough money starts coming through, don't stress. A brand new government system brought to you by the same people who fucked up universal credit isn't going to help you. Danny's financial meditation service, however, is. Pretty sure the word you're looking for is mediation. I'll mediate you in a fucking minute. We'll take on your case, no win, no fee, and if you can't get one of the dragons to sign off on your proposal, we'll bundle them into the back of a van, drive them out to a deserted farmhouse, tie a pillowcase around their head, handcuff them to a tree, and jet wash their head until they approve for you an interest-free loan. Isn't that right, Duncan Bannatyne? <laughs> I'm out, he says. I'm not Duncan Bannatyne. I'm your neighbour, Alan, for fuck's sake, Danny. I've known you since you were a kid, he says. Who's out now, Duncan? Hey? Hey? Danny, I might be going out on a limb here, but I don't think this is going to reassure anyone who's nervous about the future of their business. Look, mate, lockdown's hard. We're all struggling. All we can reasonably do is help each other out, all for the reasonable price of 60 quid. Isn't that right, Duncan? <laughs> Book now to avoid disappointment. Danny, I'm pretty sure you haven't actually got Duncan Bannatyne there. Maybe it's time to let him go. I'm not a monster, Sam. I will, just as soon as this peyote wears off and I stop seeing dragons everywhere. I'm Danny Sutcliffe, feeling very warm, shirtless and reporting for IC News. <laughs> now that brings us to the end of our emergency broadcast. We'll be back next Saturday at 8am. Until then, it's time for the stories you may have missed. Ben Fogel calls for the country to sing happy birthday to the Queen, but is roundly mocked on Twitter. Instead, next Tuesday at 9am, the country will be opening its windows to sing, well, he's a jolly good pedo to Prince Andrew. Work on HS2 is approved and is already ahead of the usual conservative schedule. Generally speaking, physical work doesn't slow down completely while costs spiral excessively until at least the second week of any infrastructure improvements they oversee. Speaking in her first interview in several weeks, the Home Secretary Pretty Patel reveals that her favourite Elton John song is Sorry Seems to Be the Hardest Word. And finally, Burger King's adverts for its plant-based Whoppers have been banned after they were found to contain porkies. You've been listening to the IC News Emergency Broadcast System. Thank you and goodbye. You've just been listening to the IC News Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please take a second to leave us a rating, and a review, on whichever platform you're listening on. You'd really be helping us out, and it's the best way to bring new listeners to the show. Every episode of IC News is written, and produced, by Sam Gore. In this episode you heard Sam Gore, Allison June Smith, Red Redman, Tom King, and Danny Sutcliffe. The main IC News theme is written and produced by Eddie French, and the graphic design is by Chumchi.com. IC News releases new episodes each and every Saturday at 8am. Stay safe. Stay at home. We'll see you next week.